Um, let's have God's word open us now all to Acts chapter 8. Uh, Acts chapter 8. And if we can now rise for the reading of God's holy word. We'll reading from verses 4 down to verse 25. This is God speaking. He says this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we ask that you would speak your word, that you would open our hearts, and that you would make us more like Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. The blood of martyrs is the seeds of the church. This is what Tertullian said. 
And we see that this is quite true, as we see in the early church and even in church history. In chapter 6, we witness the ordaining of seven men, seven men full of the spirit and of wisdom, into diaconate service for Christ's early church. And among the first was a, was a man named Stephen. And then in chapter 7, we witness Stephen getting stoned and, and becoming the first martyr of the church of Christ. These events bring us now to chapter 8. After Stephen's death, we're told that there arose a great persecution against the church, and the early Christians were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. In this tragic and devastating account, we have to pause and recall Jesus' word in chapter 1 where he said this. He said that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and they will take his word and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. So now in Acts 8.5, we see Philip, one of the deacons, placed, so to speak, by God's sovereignty after the great persecution and stoning of Stephen in, of all places, Samaria. And what is he doing there? He is proclaiming to them Christ. And perhaps through our eyes, as, as we follow along, and as we go through the book of Acts up to this point, many of us may conclude that everything just went sideways. It crashed, it burned, it's over. What would you do in the situation? How would our elders and deacons move forward if one of ours was stoned to death for Christ? But through eyes of faith, we see that God's plan is still being fulfilled. That the plan actually didn't go sideways. It didn't crash and burn. It didn't stop. Through the death of Stephen, it is propelled. That persecution and death is not the end, but the beginning and the catalyst for the gospel of Jesus to go forth. Now here's the point of contact, perhaps, for you and I. That as we look at our lives now, with all the baggages that we have currently, with all the experiences and the difficulties and the brokenness, with all the, all the death, the loss, and the languish, with all the apathy and emptiness, complacency, lack of satisfaction, confusion, frustration, and varying measures of persecution, and some of us have even ran out of words to describe how we are doing, and we're left with a shallow sigh. Our dog, sometimes when he's bored or wants something, he just lays down. Oh, shut up, Major. We're left sometimes with just a simple, shallow sigh as we sit amidst all the things that are going on in our lives. And perhaps you concluded that everything has just went wrong and perhaps the Lord is not with you. But perhaps on the other end, the Lord is still leading you. What if these are the times that God will show himself to be sovereign and faithful to his cause in your life? What if these are the times where God reminds you of what is truly important and eternal? Reminding you that this place is not your home, that these things cannot satisfy 
that if in Jesus you are a new creation, then this old creation can't make you whole. See, as the gospel reaches the region of Samaria, and particularly a magician by the name of Simon Magnus, we see that the main theme of today's text is that of authenticity. And perhaps the Lord would have us search our own hearts this morning. So here's the main point, if you look up with me. Here's the main point. That authentic faith is Christ-centered, gospel-driven, and kingdom-focused. Authentic faith is Christ-centered, gospel-driven, and kingdom-focused. And so we're going to look at two things. First, the authenticity of the Samaritan's faith, a positive example here. And secondly, the authenticity of Simon's faith, which unfortunately will be a negative one. So first, the authenticity of the Samaritan faith. Now, you've heard uh, many times, probably in many ways, but the Samaritan people wore a very distinct identity as a people. They were neither regarded as Jews or Gentiles, and most scholars say that they were descendants of Jews from the northern kingdom who ended up intermarrying with the foreign people. They were a mixed and diverse group of people. They weren't strictly Jewish. They weren't strictly Gentiles. They were Samaritans, and they were labeled this way. And the Jews saw them as unfaithful, defiled, and even considered them unclean. So much to the point where we know through the Gospels that they would avoid this region, even in their travels, though we see Jesus go right through. All that to say there was much hostility and animosity between Jews and Samaritans. But similarly to the Jews, the Samaritans were also longing and waiting for a deliverer, a Messiah, a Christ. They too were looking and waiting for a prophet like Moses who would lead them in spirit and in truth. And we see this is Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. But that's not our focus today. We see that after the martyrdom of Stephen, Philip finds himself in Samaria. In Samaria of all places, but yet still fulfilling now God's plan. And this is what we're told. We're told that the Samaritan people paid attention to both Simon and Philip, but they believed Philip's message about Jesus. More than signs and miracles, they saw the truth of Christ as the Savior, the power of the gospel to transform, and the beauty of the kingdom that brings the broken in. Let's take a look again once more. Look at here in verses 4 and onward. This is what it says. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The martyrdom of Stephen propelled the disciples of Christ to go now and preach the word. We're told that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And I should pause here quickly to say that preaching the word and proclaiming Christ here is synonymous To preach the word, to proclaim the word of God is to show them Christ, to proclaim who Jesus is. Continuing in verse 68, and the crowds with one accord paid attention. Here's what you and I need to pay attention to this morning. Look at this. The crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. 
We're told that the Samaritan people paid attention. Philip seemed to have been doing a lot of miracles and works, healing, and caught their attention. But similarly, but in contrast, they also paid attention to Simon. Look at verse 9 through 11 with me. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him as well, because for a long time he had amazed them with, his magic. Now, if it was just a magic show, if it was just a display of power and miracles and signs, it would be hard to choose which one is true or authentic or worthy of devotion. But here in verse 12, it seems that the Samaritan people concluded this. That more than signs and miracles... What Philip said drew them in. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he, pay attention to this, believe this, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. We have Simon here doing signs and works and all this magical things, and people were amazed from the least to the greatest. We have Philip show up. He was doing signs, wonders, healings, and they paid attention to him. But where did the people end up in terms of devotion, belief, and faith? To the one who proclaimed Christ. To the one who preached the good news about God's kingdom that said even broken or mixed or ostracized people can belong. That Jesus Christ, that in the name of Jesus, all your sins are forgiven, you're accepted, you're adopted, you are precious. You're not outsiders, you're on the outskirts, you belong. It was the message of Philip. They paid attention to both. That it was the message that won the hearts. The signs grabbed their attention, but the message gave them salvation. Verse 14 and 17 tells us that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard this news about Samaria, that they received God's word and believed and were baptized, they sent Peter and John to authenticate it. Authenticity is a theme that's been, that seems to be running through our text today. What is true faith? Authentic faith. The apostles back in Jerusalem, they hear all of Samaria came to, not all of Samaria, that the people in Samaria particularly the city, came to faith, and then they go to authenticate this. It was a particular time in the early church, and because of the history of the Jews and Samaritans, we see for some reason in God's sovereignty, the Holy Spirit was not immediately given to the Samaritans until their faith was authenticated by Apostle Peter and John. Why? Well, when Peter and John got there, it must have been obvious to them that these people truly believed, for they laid their hands on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. We see with all the tension and all the division between the Jews and Samaritans, without this authentication, without this apostolic authentication, that they easily could have 
rose a division or some kind of second class Christians or some kind of, yes, yeah, Samaritans, they believe in Jesus. They heard about Jesus. They, they, they want to be in the kingdom of God, but they're still just Samaritans. And, and, and so that this division and this brokenness wouldn't happen. We see that God, for some reason, in his sovereignty through the apostles, first makes sure that there is a direct link, a unity, a authenticating of the faith. To say that those who believe in Samaria believe in the same Christ, the same kingdom, the same good news as those in Jerusalem. That this is the same message about the same God the same salvation through the same Savior, and they were equal as sons and daughters of God. There was no question now once the apostles came, prayed over them, laid on the hands, and God gave the Holy Spirit to them. And we can imagine in many similar ways, just as the believers in Jerusalem were given gifts to preach and proclaim that perhaps similar things happened here, that the people in Samaria receiving the Holy Spirit joined now in the choir of proclaiming Christ about the kingdom of God. We see see that authentic faith that is Christ-centered, gospel-driven, and kingdom-focused allows for unity and diversity. This is the nature of Christ's church and the, and the people of the one eternal kingdom. We are diverse, but we are also unified in Christ. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that each local church has to be diverse, but each church should know that all those who believe in Jesus, no matter what color, flag, or origin, are one people under God. This means that we cannot discount other ethnicities or cultures, not even our own, but to know that God has a reason and a plan for each distinct individual as well as each people group. This is the power of Christ. This is the drive of the gospel. This is the beauty of the kingdom. Authentic faith unites the beautiful diversity of God's people in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In short, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a mission church. Christ-centered, gospel-driven, and kingdom-focused. This is why, even if you've experienced an amazing sign or healing, Without the Word of God to authenticate that experience, it is empty. Dare I say simply, magic. It doesn't matter if it was on the mission field, in the local church, or a private setting. Authentic faith is ultimately focused on the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Signs and miracles and healings are good. And when the Lord gives it, praise the Lord but he gives it so that it would focus us once more on Christ. How many times have we desired those things and lost sight of Christ? Perhaps if we simply ask the Lord, show us Christ, give us more of Christ, then all those things would follow. Friends, are you looking for signs and miracles? Whether you're in between jobs or decisions or brokenness and you're waiting 
Or will you allow the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus to be proclaimed in your life, to be applied, to give you a peace and an assurance no matter what the circumstances may be? Do you pay attention to and are captivated more by gifts and power, miracles and signs, be it from the world or even God, more than the gospel of Jesus that transforms lives and brings people into the kingdom? Again, the Samaritan people paid attention to both Simon and Philip, but they were ultimately focused on the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Verse 13 tells us that even Simon believed and was baptized. After believing and being baptized, he followed Philip in in the ministry for a short time. But Simon's focus seems to still be on signs and miracles and not the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Verse 13 tells us he continued with Philip. He was amazed by the signs and the miracles. Simon was very focused on this. So then our second point, the authenticity of Simon's faith. Again, we're initially told that Simon believes and was baptized, but unfortunately the following verses suggest that his faith perhaps was not that authentic. In the beginning of COVID, we know that many banks and places had a shortage of coin. It put some of your rare coin collection to a pause. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys are into that. Recently, something more close to my heart, I learned that restaurants are having a hard time because there is a shortage of chicken wings. Something as essential as chicken wings. With Simon, we see there is a shortage in the understanding of what true faith really is. If you, if you don't believe me, look, look at this picture here. Upon taking wings orders, please inform the customer that due to supply on demand, the price of wings have temporarily increased. Six wings for $9.49, 12, $17.99, 24 wings for $34.99. And if you should be so bold, 36 wings will cost you $54.99. Our family ordered pizza, and we're not just a pizza family. Well, we like toppings, by the way. If anyone says cheese pizza is more pure, let us pick up our stones. I'm just kidding. But we're not just a, we're not like a one box of pizza household. We need a pizza and something, right? A pizza and wings, a pizza and a cheese steak, a pizza and a cheese stick and onion rings and fries. I don't know, right? Use your imagination. We wanted to get wings and, um, you know what, never mind. Okay, let's get back to focus. In the beginning of COVID, there's a shortage of corn shortage of wings here in our text seems to be a shortage of understanding of what true faith is for Simon. You know, when, when he saw the apostles come and lay the hands on the people and, and give the Holy Spirit by way of prayer, he misunderstood that. He, he thought that they had some kind of power, that, that this was something that could be wielded and, and, and given and, and bought He didn't realize that this was from God through the apostles to the people for Christ's sake because of the gospel and in light of the kingdom. He wanted this. He wanted this power. He wanted this authority. 
He was enamored. He paid attention. He was captivated and focused on signs and miracles. And when he saw that these men were able to do these things, he said, I want that gift too. So much so here in verse 18 to 19, this is what Simon says. Look with me. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon's true desire was power. He didn't want Christ, but he wanted to control the authority of the Spirit of God. He didn't want to see the kingdom expand and transform. With transformed people, he wanted to see his own kingdom grow with his own followers. This is how Peter responds. Verse 20 to 23, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Therefore, of your wickedness, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter rebukes him. He says, your heart is not right before God. You're focused on the wrong thing. You think that this power can be bought? You think that God can be bought or swayed? You think some kind of human economy can deal him into you getting what you want? Peter says, no. You have no part or lot. This is an Old Testament language, meaning you have no share in what we have. No part or lot in this matter. The word here for matter is the word logos. You have no part or lot in this word, in this matter, in this ministry, he's saying. You do not truly believe. You've missed it, Simon. He says, repent. Repent of your wickedness that the Lord may forgive you. Verse 24, and Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. We're told that Simon's response isn't that of repentance, but simply saying to Peter, hey, can you pray for me then so that none of this would happen to me? He was indeed afraid. But he still lacked the faith that is required to repent. You know, no one can pray for and repent on your behalf. This is the call that must be answered by you and me. Only Jesus can intercede and forgive sins. Only Jesus can transform. And it is only in Jesus' name one can receive salvation and forgiveness and joy and eternal life. Now, we may feel far removed and even disgusted by Simon's heart. But are we that different? How often do we bargain with God? I know I do. How often do you ask for certain things in return for your money, for your time, for your service, for your sacrifice? How many men have left the church because they did not receive the title or respect? 
How many of them have... How many of us, when faced with difficulty, turn from God because this is not what we expected to receive in return for our loyalty? How many of us give our lives to Christ, yet do not believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain? How many of us find our faith conditional on what God can give us, do for us, or lack thereof? If this is you, as I certainly know this is me, the call this morning is to repent. It is easy to go about our faith and slip into this type of false religion that God is ultimately here to serve us and not the other way around. And let me also encourage you along with this call to repentance. If you are indeed in a place where you have realized, you know what, yeah, and to some degree I've been trying to use God, and to some degree I'm bitter and upset at Him because life isn't going my way, and I realize I didn't really trust Him, then the encouragement is, praise the Lord, your faith is being tested. May it lead to repentance and renewal so that you may trust in him again. This is perhaps the beauty and the difficulty of the Christian life. That the Lord continues to test us and grow us. No matter if you are young or old, the Lord continues to refine us and open the eyes of our hearts to see, am I really following Christ wholeheartedly? Is my faith authentic? And these are good questions to ask. And know that whenever we ask those questions, it should lead to repentance and faith, a refocusing, a recentering on Christ, a, a, a rejuvenation on our drive to be that of the gospel, a refocusing about our kingdoms and the things we can stack up or secure but the kingdom of God. A very well-known retired pastor, Tim Keller, wrote an article after a life-changing situation. One of the most renowned pastors, scholars, and authors admits that when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, his faith was tested. He shares how he had to really go back to see if what he has been preaching and counseling and saying and walking with other people was true for him in this moment. Was his faith in Jesus authentic? Was he a Christian because he believed that God would serve him and give him a good life? Or was he a Christian because he wanted to serve God and give his life to him? And this is what he writes in an article published by The Atlantic, Growing My Faith in the Face of Death. Let me quote a section here by Tim Keller as he shares this with us. Start quote. I don't, I don't believe it's up there, so you have to follow along. Sorry, that wasn't a quote. I said start quote, and then I said something else, which could probably cause a confusion. Here we go, start quote. A significant number of believers in God find their faith shaken or destroyed when they learn that they will die at a time and in a way that seems unfair to them. Before my diagnosis, I had seen this in people of many faiths. One woman with cancer told me years ago, I'm not a believer anymore. That doesn't work for me. I can't believe in a personal God who would do something like this to me. Cancer killed her God. What would happen to me? One of the first things I learned was that Religious faith does not automatically provide solace in times of crisis. 
A belief in God and an afterlife does not become spontaneously comforting and existentially strengthening. When I got my cancer diagnosis, I had to look not only at my professed beliefs, which align with historical Protestant orthodoxy, but also at my actual understanding of God. Had it been shaped by my culture? Had I been slipping unconsciously into the supposition that God lived for me rather than I for him? That life should go well for me? That I knew better than God does on how things should go? The answer was yes to some degree. I found that to embrace God's greatness, to say thy will be done, was painful at first and then perhaps counterintuitively, profoundly liberating. End quote. Let me conclude by saying this. You know, on, on this side of glory, life is hard. And some of you know it far too well, even more than me. We live in a sin-fallen world where cancer is real, death is imminent, things don't go the way we plan, and our lives are not as satisfying and full as we had hoped and worked for. Perhaps we put too much stock in this world. It's a sober reminder to believe once more that this world is full of good things, but this world has nothing of eternal value to offer us. No amount of money, no matter how beautiful your home or large your plot of land, no matter man's applause, no matter how nice your car is or in my current idle desires, your road bike can satisfy the desires of your hearts. It's because we were not made for this world, as we often quote C.S. Lewis. It's because we're not made for this world. We're simply placed in it for a short while to carry out his will. We see from the early church that persecution is real, suffering is real, difficulty and plans going sideways is real. However, we also see that in light of persecution, death, plans not going the way we think, that the message of Jesus is also real, that the hope of the gospel is real, that the kingdom is drawing near. Authentic faith is Christ-centered. It is centered on Christ. It always gravitates and comes back to Christ. Authentic faith is gospel-driven. It's fueled by this good news and this hope that our sins are forgiven, that we are a new creation, that even though this world can take our health, our money, and whatever it may be, that it cannot take away our souls. It's driven by the gospel. That's the fuel when you're tired, when you're weak, when you're bitter. It's your hope, it's your strength. And authentic faith is kingdom-focused. Kingdom-focused. It's not focused on our kingdoms, the kingdoms we try to build with sand and leaves. Christ-centered, gospel-driven, kingdom-focused. So perhaps we should heed the call to repentance today and fix our eyes on Christ once more. That we may once more come to a place where we can say, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. 
I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Friends, I can close this in prayer, but I cannot repent on your behalf. I have enough of repenting to do on my own. But let's spend some time in prayer as we go to the Lord in repentance for renewal so that we can stand once more and fight the good fight of faith, taking this word to the ends of the earth. Let's spend some time in prayer, and I'll close this in a short while.